0: But it's our pleasure to welcome our speaker tonight. Joe's been with us all week. He is a truly an inspirational man of God that loves the Word of God, but also loves you and has a heart to see Jesus break in your life. So let's welcome Joe as he comes to preach God's Word. Well, good evening. I've uh, been looking forward to come to share the Word of God with you all week. And so great to be able to finally do that tonight. Uh, if you open your Bible, you were going to be in Mark chapter 8. And what I want to talk about this evening is what does it really, really look like to live for Jesus? Living the life as a disciple of Jesus, what does it look like? Because at New Day, it's very, very easy. Things are kind of set up for it in many ways. It's quite fun to be a Christian at New Day. There's meetings every morning, there's seminars that go on, there's meetings every night. But it isn't like that back home, at least not where I come from. And I'm pretty sure where you come from as well. It isn't like New Day, it's real life. And so what does it really look like to follow Jesus for the rest of the year? That's where we're going tonight. For me, I started to take Jesus seriously. I really became a Christian about age 15 at New Day, New Day 2008. People are calling me old now. Shouldn't have said that, should I? Hands up if you were born after 2008. Wow, look at that. So New Day 2008, that's when I first started taking my faith seriously. I decided I was going to follow Jesus. You're working out how old I am. That's 15 years ago. And 30, close, yeah. Someone said 29. I'm 30. 15 years ago, I've now worked out that this summer marks, I've been following Jesus longer now than I wasn't. And so now, but I remember at that age, what does it really look like to come and follow him? And so I'm hoping that this story is going to help us. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 8. And what's happened in the story so far is that Jesus has had a dialogue with his disciples and he's been chatting with Peter, who is one of his best mates, but he's been asking the disciples. Lots of people are talking about who I am. Different opinions. Some say this, some say that. Who do you say I am? And Peter is kind of the, the number one, steps up to the plate and he says, you're the Christ. Jesus like, you've got it. And then shortly after that, we get this other exchange where we see Jesus and Peter having another exchange. And so I'm going to read to you these verses together, reading from Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he, talking about Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever's ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his father with the holy angels. This is the word of God. Let's just pray together, shall we, before we dive in. Lord, we we thank you for your word. We thank you this is not some old book written thousands of years ago, irrelevant today, but it speaks truth and life. Lord, just as much then as it did now. And we pray as we look at this together, Lord, will you come and will you bring truth? Lord, will you come and you bring life? Lord, will you help us? by your Holy Spirit, to receive the truth of your word. Tonight we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You don't need to clap, you can just say amen, that's fine. So, Peter denies. In this story, what it begins with is Jesus gives this big kind of, I'm going to reveal the plan. I don't know if you ever watch those kind of films where they're going to do something crazy, like rob a bank or something, and they reveal, right, they get together, this is the plan. We've got a mission to do. This is how we're going to do it. And so Jesus has got his disciples together and he's saying, this is the plan. And it involves four things, this plan. The first thing he says is, the son of man, that's a nickname for Jesus, if you like, the way that he would often refer to himself. He says, the first thing, I'm going to suffer. Okay. The son of man must suffer many things. Then, I'm going to be rejected by the priests and the elders. That was the the leaders of the day, the influence of the day. I'm going to be rejected by them. It's Jesus' way of saying, I'm going to be cancelled in our society. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. Then I'm going to die. He's talking about his journey to the cross. But he reassures them, that doesn't end there. Then after three days, I'm going to rise again. That's number four. And so he makes his plan, his plan really, really plain. He literally says that in the text. He says, you know, he said this to them plainly. That's the plan. And then, as many of us would probably do, you get Peter's response. Peter doesn't like this plan. Peter's got questions. He's got some concerns. He's unsure. He think a little drastic maybe. Are you sure this is the best course of action, Jesus? And so it tells us that he, he takes Jesus to the side and he tries to rebuke Jesus. He tries to sort of tell him, Jesus, uh, 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 well, why are you doing that? And it reminds me, I'm gonna tell you a story actually. that every, After I tell this story, every youth leader in the tent is probably gonna hate me. And I think the night watch team will as well. But I'll tell it anyway. When I was at New Day, 14, 15, one of the things that we always like to do on the final night was see if we could sneak out of our tents late into the night, right? I'm getting a round of applause for that. You don't realise when you tell a story and you know you're gonna get in trouble, but you do it anyway, it's not easy. Now, all of you are far more godly and righteous and holy than I was, and so I know you're not gonna do that. Amen? Amen. But when you would be hatching the plan, there'd be three or four of us, and we'd be saying, how are we gonna do this? i got an idea. Right, why don't one of us set an alarm, we'll do it at three in the morning, something like that, and then we'll we'll come out of our tent and we'll see where we can sneak and go. And when you would do that sort of thing, there'd always be that one person. Oh, I don't think this is a good idea. (laughs) To that person, we would say, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) We wouldn't say that. But usually that person... You're probably thinking, maybe that you're that person, good for you, well done. But you get that person, because why are they saying that? Because they're thinking about the ramifications, what's going to happen? We might get caught, we might get in trouble, we might get caught by the New Day watch team. You will if you try that tonight, they're very good, they've got much better. (laughs) It was a different sight then, it was a lot easier. Now it's it's very difficult. You might get in trouble for your youth leaders. You know what? If it was one of my youth, the conversation might be like, this might put you off trying it tonight. Maybe you ain't coming to New Day next year. Some youth leaders will move like that. I know they will. I've spoken with Femi and TJ with Jubilee. I know that's the sort of rules they run with. They'll tell me, no, no, no. You ain't coming back. But they're thinking of the ramifications. What are we going to do if that happens? What shall we do? We don't want to, you shouldn't do that. It's a bad plan. And in the end, you, you ignore that person and you go and do it. Now, that's a little bit like what's happening with Peter and Jesus. The difference is, is that the person who's telling you not to go out of your tent at 3 a.m. in the morning is right. But Peter was very wrong. But Peter was that person. He's heard the plan and he's thinking, no, but this is going to, this could end up quite bad for us, Jesus. I don't think this is a fantastic idea. I don't like where this is going. I don't think you should do that. And Jesus is not talking about sneaking out of tent at nighttime. He's talking about being slaughtered on a cross and dying and then rising again. And, and Peter doesn't like it. And Jesus rebukes him back and he says, get behind me, Satan. What Jesus is saying to Peter there is, is that you are, you don't even realise it, but you're, you're doing the works of the devil by trying to convince me to not go on this mission that I must do. And so he says, get behind me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Because Jesus was very plain. He says several times, I must do this. This is what he says in the passage. I am, the Son of Man must. Well, why? Why must the Son of Man, why must Jesus go and do that? Why must he suffer and be rejected and die and rise again? I'll tell you why Jesus does it. Jesus does it on a rescue mission for humanity to reconcile us to God. Jesus knows. Jesus knows how serious sin is when it comes to our relationship with God. He knows. He knows that God is holy and just and perfect, and that our sin our disobedience to him and his word is utterly offensive to him. That we cannot have peace with him while we're doing that. Jesus knows that the Bible is clear that the consequence for our sin is death and judgment and wrath from God because he's so holy and so just. Jesus knows that. And he also knows that the way for him to, to deal with that, the way for him to make peace with that, is to rather than us receive the judgment that we should receive, that he himself must suffer and take it upon himself on the cross. That's what he knows. And so when he's saying, you can clap at that if you like. I feel like I'm the clap police this week, getting a reputation. Jesus knows. I'm, I must go, I must pay the price. I must pay it with my own blood. Someone has to die. Someone has to pay the consequence for our sin and wrongdoing. And Jesus is saying, I don't want it to be you. I love you so much. I, I care about you so much. I want you to know the Father so much. I want you to have peace with God so much. I'll do it. The Son of Man must go and do this, which is why he's so serious with Peter when Peter's saying no. He said, Peter, you don't understand. I must do this. You're not going to deter me. I know what's at stake. And you keep reading the story of Mark and you see it's exactly what Jesus does. It's exactly what happens. And so, uh, and Peter is a little bit confused in the passage. You see, with Peter, you know, Jesus is, he kind of has this double vision. And in fact, if you read the rest of Mark's gospel, I'm not going to read it all to you today, Mark chapter 8. Mark, who was a friend of Jesus, wrote down lots of the things that he saw, gives us some examples of when, kind of a bit like Peter, people, someone that sees something, but they don't get the whole picture. So for example, a little bit earlier, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and Herod. And they recognise that Jesus is kind of, you know, he's a bit of a figure but they don't really see that he's the Messiah. And they thought they were so smart. They thought they were so clever. They thought they knew it all, but they can't see who Jesus is. And the way Jesus describes them is, you've got ears, but you cannot hear. And you've got eyes, but you can't see. So you think you can see it all, but the fact that you don't recognise who I am shows me you can't really see it all. And so you get this story. And then almost straight after that story, nearly, you get an account where Jesus heals a man who is blind. But the way that it happens is quite fascinating because the man comes to Jesus and Jesus touches his eyes to be healed and he asks him, can you see? And the man says, I can see, but it's still a little bit blurry. It's like when I see people walking, they look like trees, I can't fully see. And then Jesus touches his eyes again and then he says, wow, I can see clearly and he goes off rejoicing. And so you get these two stories. And then you get this story about Peter, who has just confessed, Jesus is the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the one. It's like he sees. He can see that Jesus is the Messiah. But then we see that his vision is a little blurry because he can't actually see that Jesus is supposed to die. He can't actually see that Jesus needs to die and to rise again. It's like he, he can't get the full picture. It reminds me of some of those images that go viral every now and again where you, you look at it and you can see one thing but you can also see another thing and sometimes you can't see it all. You know those ones? I'm gonna put one on the screen now and you can, tell, and you can see, see which image do you see? Right, you're going to, I'm gonna need you to be quiet to ask you in three, two, one. Right, shh, show of hands we we'll know what we we'll do. If you're in the 15s, 18s, we'll do the Andrew Wilson clapometer. If you see an old lady, then give me a clap. Okay. If you see a young lady kind of looking into the distance, give me a clap. Fascinating. I feel like that's slightly louder. If you can see both, give me a clap. If you're really confused, put your hand in the air. Fantastic. So, you can take that photo off the screen now. Those images, sometimes you can see something, you can see something, but you, it's like, but you can't fully see the full picture. It took me about six, seven minutes sitting in the costa next over the road today, trying to look at, trying to see both of them eventually, and I got there. Sometimes, and once you see both, it's like, no, I can clearly see it. You can easily see how they're both. Some of you are still thinking, how is that a woman looking in the distance? Some of you think, how is that an old lady seems to be sitting in a chair or something? And it's a little bit like that. And I actually think this idea of double vision is so relevant for all of us because I think lots of us think we know what it means to follow Jesus, but we don't really understand it. We think we know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but our vision is blurry. And the words of Jesus tonight are gonna help us immensely to understand what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus. Not what it means just to put your hand up at New Day. Not what it means to say, oh yeah, I think I wanna be a Christian at New Day and and enjoy that there, but to really follow Jesus with your whole life. We're gonna grasp it tonight, the full picture, because maybe you become a Christian this week or maybe you became a Christian very recently. Maybe you've just been going to church for as long as you can remember. Remember? But to truly be a disciple of Jesus is not about coming to New Day or going to church. It's not about if you've been to New Day 15 times, five times, three times, I'm coming back next year. Because it, I've said it before, being a Christian here is, is, is really easy. Everyone is, it seems. And so I want us just to explore it. And because Jesus tells us in the, next, in the next verse, verse 34, what it really means to be a Christian. He says this, He calls to the crowd. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I wanna talk about those two things. The first thing Jesus says is deny yourself. That means you need to die to yourself. That means you need to, to your own selfish desires and, and the things that you wanna do, you say, you know what, there was a time when I put myself first and my own desires and the things that I wanted and my choices, but now I'm gonna put Jesus first. And this is a massive idol in our generation. The idol of self. I want to do things my way. Me and my life. I do the things the way I want to do it. You kind of get this this mantra. It's in all the films, in all the books. One of the films that, um, uh, one of the most popular songs in a Disney film, Frozen, is, I knew I was going to get a cheer. doesn't need one. I'm about to criticise it, so apologies for that. The, the main song I've actually not seen the film although the way I quote these lyrics you think, you'll think I will yeah. it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through no right, no wrong no rules for me I'm free that is living for self now you don't applaud that that's living for self that's an idol that's a, I can do things the way I want to do it I can live however I want to live Jesus says deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me you die to your the way that you want to do things, you go, no. In fact, I want to follow God's word and the way that Jesus has for me, not just what I want to do. So the first thing he says is deny yourself. And then the other thing he says is, pick up your cross and follow me. That's a weird instruction. You ever thought about that? What does Jesus mean? The cross now. People have got, I've seen all the necklaces and earrings, you know, a nice photo on the back of a shirt on the cross. The cross was an instrument of death. The Romans used it as an instrument as quite a brutal and barbaric death, usually reserved for people that they wanted to kill in a nasty way. And Jesus is saying, pick up your cross and follow me. What does he mean? You see, the cross means a few things. If you're carrying a cross, it means a few things. It means opposition. It means there's gonna be people that are opposed to you, that come against you, that don't like you. Jesus knew that too well. To carry a cross meant suffering and shame. It meant being beaten and having your hair and your beard pulled out of your face and being nailed to lumps of wood probably naked, while you're bleeding and suffocating and dehydrating to the point that you die. And so it meant death. It means opposition. It means shame and suffering. And it means death. And Jesus says to his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. I'm gonna carry my cross and I'm gonna die on it and I want you to do the same. That's what Jesus would say to his disciples. I wanna say this, if you think that following Jesus is just about an easy life, playing games, some pretend Christianity, if you think, I just wanna be a Christian and I go on a Sunday and I do this and that and I kinda of just, just go follow something else. It's not what Jesus is calling you to. It's not what it means to follow Jesus. It's not what he's talking about in this book. He's calling for a radical obedience to follow him. Because I actually think that rather than a cross, what most of us really want to carry is, is what I'm about to show you now. In fact, I've got a friend of mine, Josh, who's going to come out, I think, and appear on the stage somewhere. At least I think he is. Let's give a big round of applause for my friend, Josh, who's coming out on the stage now. Here he comes. Most of you don't want to carry a cross. Have you seen one of these before? Hands up if you've been in one of these. I've been in one of these. These things are, are there to protect you. They're there to protect Josh so he can bang into things. Right, that's the whole idea. They're there to protect him, to keep him safe to keep him secure, to keep him comfortable, to make sure that he doesn't get into too much harm or have any difficulty. But one of the things that's quite fascinating is that I think many people will become a Christian this week and you think, you know what, I wanna carry one of these. I've become a Christian and you almost put one of these on. Because what you really wanna do is go back home and, 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 and not face any opposition, but actually be quite comfortable what you really want to do is have some security and some comfort and some kind of security around you. This kind of nice, comfortable Christianity. Because this thing, it kind of keeps him safe. There's an element of it that, that this keeps Josh very safe. I could try and push him and I don't think he'll go very far. I could try and boot him. I can punch him. I'll tell you what I can even do. Look. I could take a sledgehammer. Look. And we'll see, look didn't go very far, did he? Harder, what do you reckon? Yeah, look. We'll do another one. Take a sledgehammer and I can hit him with that. He's completely fine. He's safe, he's fine, he's okay. Because what happens is that when you leave this place, my friends, suddenly being a Christian isn't cool anymore. It's okay to be a Christian here. But suddenly when you're back home, in fact, it's it's actually a little bit embarrassing at times. It's suddenly not that fun and uh, you're not at these meetings all the time. In fact, rather than being with 8,000 others, the majority of people in your school, maybe they're not Christian. Maybe the people that you live alongside, they're not Christian. Maybe even your very family, they're not Christian. And so you think, this feels a little bit scary to me and so I'll put my suit on. That's what I'll do, I'll wear this thing and that's gonna help me and protect me. And instead of carrying a cross that leads to opposite, that leads to maybe opposition and suffering and shame, we wear one of these. And we live our whole Christian life thinking, you know what, I've just gotta make it through. I won't tell too many people I'm a Christian. I'll come to New Day, I'll go to church. I won't take any risks for Jesus. I won't do anything radical or bold. I won't tell anybody about my faith. I'll just get through. If I can just get through, make sure that I I don't have sex with anybody unless I get married and I I don't take any drugs or drink, I'll just go to keep my head down, just kind of get through, and I'll be okay. That's how some of us want to live, like we're wearing one of these. But you see, the problem with this, although it gives you a level of security, it also... and it appears to be all of those things, it actually causes some other problems. It means you can't actually access and live life in the way that maybe you intend to. There's lots of things you, you can't do, for example, in one of those. Like, for example, Josh can't eat bananas if he's in one of those. Look, I've got a banana here, look. Why don't you try and eat some banana, look. No? no he's got to hold it. I'll give you the banana skin. Look, you've got two hands. So you've got to try and eat his banana. Or he can't drink water. Let's see if he can, look, open your mouth. Look. No? We'll try again. Look, open wide. He can't drink. In fact, I wonder if he could drink a milkshake. This is not 12 to 14, in it? I'm not going to do that to the guy, I actually like him. (laughs) I stopped giving him to peer pressure when I was about 11. you got no chance. The point I'm trying to show you is that although this thing looks like it keeps you safe and secure and comfortable, what it actually does is it can be a real hindrance. It, sometimes the thing that you think is giving you protection is actually a hindrance to your joy. That is the reality, and that's what happens here. You see, the thing that you think is doing that is actually doing the very, very opposite. You keep this bubble suit on, I just survive and I just get through. Make sure I don't have anything friends. That is not the life Jesus is calling you to. That isn't why Jesus died. That isn't what Jesus was saying to Peter and his disciples here. Just be comfortable, be safe, be secure and get through. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he says time and time and time again. You see, this is about surviving. Surviving. I just need to survive. Jesus hasn't called you to a life of surviving. He's called you to a life of thriving. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to live life in all its fullness. And so what we really should be doing is some of you wanna take this thing and you wanna live in this. Well, what we really do is we, when we're here and what I'm hoping will happen tonight is that God by his conviction will take a knife and we'll cut these things. And we'll get rid of this soup. And it will deflate and then suddenly, with more and more time, the air will come out. Make sure I don't get Josh. You see that he deflates. You can let go of that now, Josh. And now that it's deflated, Josh, you can come back. Don't get scared. Because now you get your reward. Now you see, now it's deflated, he can actually enjoy his milkshake. Let's give Josh a round of applause. Off you go, Josh. Off he goes. When you become a Christian, God leads you into a place of full surrender to follow him. That's all he does. Full surrender to follow him. Not to put on a suit and just try and make it through, but to be brave and courageous and take risks. To step out in faith, to see kingdom advance, to be a witness, to be a light. That's the life that he's calling us to. Not to be embarrassed or ashamed or scared because we're Christians. The way that our society would want us to be. But to be bold. And he says, this is is the way that Jesus said, I've come that you may have life in all its fullness. If you live your life like that, you'll get back in years to come and think, I didn't live out the plans and purposes God had for me amongst my generation. I missed out on so much. Because Jesus says that when you give your life to follow him like that, When you lay down your life to follow him like that. He says, actually, that is life in all its fullness. In fact, he shows us in the next few verses. If we keep reading this passage together, he shows us, he gives gives us four reasons, and I want to finish with these. He gives us four reasons. In fact, it literally says four times the word four. Verse 35, verse 36, verse 37, verse 38. Four, 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 four. So what happens when you live this way? Why should you live as a radical disciple of Jesus? And this is what he says, four number one. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What he's saying here is that what appears to be saving your life actually leads to losing. And what is... Uh, when you lose your life, when you surrender your life, when you say, you know what, my life is not my own anymore. I belong to God. I belong to Jesus. I'm all in for Him. He said that actually leads to more life. It leads to eternal life in Him. The Bible describes this process that you, you have to come and you have to die. You die to your old self. You die to your old ways. You die to your old habits. You say, I've come in. That's why people say, I'm a born again Christian. I've got new life. But if you try to hold on to it, you'll lose it. That's the first four. The second one in the next verse says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? You could gain the whole world. Everything that you think is valuable in your life. You could be the person with all of the money, you could be the most popular person in school, best at all the sports, the most incredible trainer collection. You could have the best looking boyfriend or girlfriend if that's what you, you could have the whole, what people would say, this is fantastic. You could have it all. And then he says, But the rhetorical question in this statement is, But what, what would you really have? He says, You'd have nothing. Why? Because all of those things all of those things cannot save your soul and your life from hell. They cannot save your life from judgment from God. You could have all of those things and that does not mean that you have peace with God. So you can have it all. But if you don't have peace with God, it's all worthless in the day of judgment. So Jesus is really saying. You can have it all. In fact, you've got nothing. Let me get the third. For what can a man give in return for his life? I love that. What can you give in return for your life? This is is about eternal life. You see, when I became a Christian, age 15, it meant some difficulty. It meant at times you had to start making decisions that, that, that people didn't want you to make. It meant that suddenly when you start telling people, you know what, I'm not gonna smoke, I'm not gonna drink. In fact, I'm not going to those parties anymore because I wanna go to youth group. Or you know what, I'm not gonna have sex until I'm married, if I get married. You start having those conversations. Did my mates in school mock and take the in? Yes, they did. Did my mates at university do the same? Yes, they did. Did I lose friends? Because one of my best mates that we grew up together, one day we were on a bus on the way home from somewhere, about 15, and he just turned to me, and says, Joe, you've changed. And he was right, I had, I'd been born again. I had changed. He says, you've changed. You, You don't do the things that we used to do anymore. You're not as fun anymore to do those things. I said, yeah, you're right, I've changed. Did I lose some friends? Yeah, I did. Why? Would I go back 15 years and do the same thing all again? A thousand times over. Why? Because I lost those things, but I had Christ. You have Christ. You have Jesus. And in comparison, all of those other things... They're worthless compared to knowing Jesus, compared to walking with Jesus, having relationship with him. Those things are worthless. So Jesus, what can you trade for your life, eternal life with me? And then he gives the fourth one. Whoever is ashamed of me, this is a serious warning. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in front of this this adulterous, And sinful generation, so will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in glory. Gets to a point in your life when you've got to decide whose approval are you seeking? Some of us are seeking approval from people in our school who don't like us and we don't even really like them. There used to be a phrase when I was younger that people would buy things and do things uh, to him. He'd say, you know, you'd spend money they didn't have to impress people they didn't like. Social medias uh, and influencers and people in your school or college or your mates, some of them, they don't really care about you, they don't really know you. That you're making decisions to try and please them and follow them. You will deny God in front of them. And Jesus makes it really plain. Why, why would you choose to deny me in front of them when you can have the glory of God in heaven? In all his glory and all his splendor and all his magnificence, how dare you be ashamed of Christ? That's what he's saying. How dare you be ashamed of me when you say you wanna follow me, I gave my life for you, I bought you with my blood and then in front of your mate, you wanna pretend that you don't know me It's not the life that Jesus is calling you to live, friends. It's not the life he's calling you to live. He says, I want you to be radical and bold and take ground for my kingdom. To be proud. The Bible, what does Paul say? He says that, you know, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I boast in it. And I remember going back to school at 15 after that. Um, Funny story, actually, I went back to school into year eleven, and I wasn't always the best behaved in school prior to that. And I went into my RE class, and that class in particular, I wasn't the best behaved in. And I told, and I started telling the teacher, "I'm a Christian now." And she thought that I was taking the Mick, and said, "I need to be respectful of other religions," and sent me out of class. She said, "No way, can you be?" I'm like, "No, I'm being serious. I live for Jesus now. Get out." I left like the sort of the apostles. I'm being persecuted for Jesus. I felt. I was on the right tracks but it, now I know that there's some people in this tent I'm not saying that I was always quite uh, you know, confident in school things like that now there'll be many of you you're not like that I'm not saying you've got to go around shouting, preaching on buses or things like that but, but, but for your friends to know you're a believer and to not be ashamed of it what are you doing on the weekend? I'm going to church what are you up to this weekend? I'm going to youth and I love it and I love God He's changed my life, and I follow him. That's what it looks like. And the way we do that is by truly loving Jesus and allowing him to equip us and strengthen us by his Holy Spirit to be radical and brave for him. Some of you are not particularly brave. Maybe you're not. You will receive courage if you ask for it. You'll receive boldness if you ask for it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what I want to do now, a bit like we did on the first night, is actually want to give an opportunity to those of you who want to follow Jesus. For the first time, or maybe in fact you even actually made that decision this morning when Andy McCulloch preached, but you weren't able to come forward. And I'm gonna ask everyone to stay seated and be very quiet. And I'm gonna say this to you. If upon hearing the words of Christ tonight, if you wanna follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and come. If you wanna do that for the first time, you wanna acknowledge, God, I've sinned, but I know you've dealt with my sin. You've paid the price for it. You died for it and you've forgiven me for it. And I wanna follow you and give my life to you. You wanna do that for the first time, in a few moments, I'm gonna count down from three. And what I'm gonna do, the same as we did the first night, there's not gonna be big screaming and shouting and clapping for now, we'll do that later. I'm gonna ask you just to stand up where you are and walk to the front and you think, wow, that's drastic. If you can't be bold in front of this tent and walk to follow Jesus, you got no chance. It's what Jesus demands. Jesus literally said it. You wanna deny me in front of men? i am deny him in front of my father. And so it takes a bit of boldness and some courage. In fact, what I might even ask you if you do that is what would be really great is for a youth leader to come with you if someone from your church comes. Mainly because we really wanna, after that, we are gonna go out and be able to be prayed for and chatted for. But given it's the last night, it'd be difficult for us to follow those up. So as a youth leader comes with you, then you can really support and encourage. And so I'm gonna count down from three in a moment. I'm gonna ask the rest of us to be really respectful and, and not be talking and not be clapping and shouting. And allow people to have quite a sobering moment with with Christ as he calls them to follow him. So if that's you for the first time, or if you made that decision this morning when Andy McCulloch preached, and you want to come and follow Christ, knowing what it costs, when I get to one, you stand up and you walk to the front, and we won't clap, we'll do it at the end. Three, two, one. Stand up now and walk down to the front. I know there's a temptation to clap and cheer because inside I'm doing the same thing, but I want to give people a moment of soberness and seriousness. It's not a lightweight decision to follow Jesus. You, you're literally saying, I'm gonna deny myself and follow you. This is not just a, this is a good idea. So I wanna give it all. And again, can I ask, if a young person from your church is coming and you're a youth leader, it'd be very helpful if you maybe came to support. The plan is for for these ones, I'm going to pray in a moment and then the team are going to lead them out to my left, down out into the field, an opportunity to pray with them and share with them. And as they do walk out there, the Bible does say, I keep saying, I'm not trying to be a damn thing, the Bible says that heaven rejoices even now. Jesus rejoices when someone says, I want to follow you. Each one, just one individual each individual here, known by name, loved by God, rescued and ransomed by God, that they may have peace with him. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna give these guys a huge round of applause as they leave off to be prayed for and supported. Why don't you stretch out a hand from his role with you, will you? Lord, we thank you for each one. We thank you, Lord, that you came to save us from our sin, to rescue us and ransom us to God, that we may have peace with him. And God, I pray for each one here today that's making this decision to follow you. Lord, I pray will you equip them by your Holy Spirit to be bold and strong and courageous for Christ. God, will you protect them and nourish them? And may they just be overwhelmed now by the love of God, the love that you have for them. Love so much that you gave your life to die for them, to win them back. We praise you and we give you every inch of the glory. All the glory belongs to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because these have had their response, but there's still about 7,000 of you left in the tent that need to respond to the Lord. Not in coming forward, but there's a response for you to make as well. We're going to worship, we're going to praise Jesus like you can't believe for the remainder of the night. Don't you worry, that will come. But first, there's some people that need to do business with God. And so as these people are quietly leaving now, the way this is going to work for those of us that are remaining. If you're a Christian already, and you know You want to follow Christ. You've heard his encouragement tonight. You don't want to live bubble wrap, Zorb football Christianity. You want to pursue him with your whole life. You want to deny yourself and go after Christ. Then as the band begins to play, I'm going to ask you to take some time to seriously consider doing that. And as you feel ready to do so, and as you've sought God in your own heart, I'm going to ask you to stand. Stand. But don't do it willy-nilly, really take time to consider. Am I really about this? Am I serious about this? And as you are, even now, I'm going to ask some of you, just as you do, you can begin to stand. And then Chris and the team will lead us in worship and response together. This is a moment of seriousness before the Lord. Reverence before God. You don't need to talk to your mates, the left or to the right. You need to worry about your own heart before the Lord in this moment now.